0: Thank you for tuning in to the newest episode of penpodcast.com. I'm your host, Matthew Harms, founder of Pen for Hire. Today, I am joined by Phil Johnson. How are you today, Phil?
1: I'm great. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Same here. Where are you joining us from?
1: Just outside of Toronto, Ontario.
0: Oh, very nice. Uh, Still cold up there or finally warming up?
1: It's starting to look like spring. Sun's out. And um, I'm taking down the Christmas lights.
0: <laughs> this is around that time of year that's fake spring here in New York. Like we've bounced back and forth between like 20 and uh, 70 degrees. So Phil tell everyone a little bit about yourself. How long have you been writing um, your background? I'd love to learn some more so we can dive into what you do.
1: Sure. Um, I want to make a little bit of a disclaimer for your uh, for your. Listening audience, um, in that I, although I've uh, written about six to eight books and I've published over five thousand articles and uh, posts over the last 21 years, I don't consider myself an author. I've really been I've really been doing this for myself, um, and uh, so I kind of feel like I'm uh, I'm I'm not really part of the author your audience, but I, um, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to be on your show. Uh, my, My background is, um, uh, so I've been an executive coach, coaching executives, uh, in organizations all over the world for the last 21 years and helping them to, uh, to develop leadership and emotional intelligence. Um, and this is a, uh, This is a journey that I've been on for the last 54 years. Um, I turned 68 at the end of last year, and I started on this path uh, a month after my mother died of breast cancer in January of 1968. So really, um, everything I do is, uh, is coming full circle with a promise I made to myself fifty-four years ago.
0: What was that promise?
1: That I was going to uh, see what was on the other side of the hill, and come back and help my friends that had already given up on life. So my I uh, I was born with dyslexia, failed grade three, failed grade five, and was labeled a slow learner. And back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia, so I didn't realize I had. Dyslexia until about 35 years ago, but uh, after my mother's death, I became um, a super overachiever, you might say. I uh, I did very well in school. Went to university, got a BCom, uh, most of an MBA, studied electrical engineering, and spent 20 years in the semiconductor industry, uh, and finished as an executive in that industry, generated over a a billion and a half dollars in revenue and was traveling about 60,000 miles a year. So that's quite a ways from uh, the upbringing I had. Um, and it, it taught me a lot. It, it helped to develop my emotional intelligence. And um, that's really what my writing centers around. It's a critical part of our... Uh, of our development that's missing. Uh, our educational system focused primarily on our ability to do intellectual labor, um, and so did our employment, so did our employment system. So there's a there's a critical part of our development that we need now more than ever because of the tsunami of change we're facing. Um, some scientists estimate that in in this century we will experience roughly 20,000 the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change and we've got a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change so we really um we need to be developing our emotional intelligence to be able to navigate our way through the anxiety that changing innovation creates in us
0: you know it's it's funny you say that what sounds like an astronomical number but we've already experienced so much change in such a short period of time right if you think about how long we had the telephone and before that the telegraph um and then now i mean between the the rapid advancement of cell phones and video conferencing and you can be almost anywhere instantly. We, we have virtual reality, augmented reality. And it just seems like as soon as something comes out, there's already something better right behind it.
1: And if you can imagine, I agree, if you can imagine that the changes we've already experienced in the first 22 years of this century are going to increase rapidly, exponentially throughout the balance of this century and uh, we have we have built in we have a built-in biological and sociological resistance to change um, And I'll explain that if, if you' uh, if you're interested.
0: Um, I'm definitely interested. I want to bounce back to something you said earlier in your disclaimer sure. um, because even though you may not identify as part of our audience, you've written, far more than many people who might just be starting out. Clearly you've got a handle on it. Um, so I would love to hear a little more on that perception or your thoughts on change and what it means. Because as writers, that's another thing you have to adapt to. There's constantly changes in the world and you can't you, you make, can't always be looking backwards. You have to yeah, look forwards as well.
1: You know what, you make an excellent point, Matt. So let me just... Um take a little sidebar here and explain biologically what's going on whenever we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone there's a part of our old lizard brain called the amygdala that's been trying to keep us alive by making sure we need we never leave the the comfort of our, the safety of our cave so if we do it secretes a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol And that causes the the executive center of our prefrontal cortex to shut off. And we typically go into what psychologists refer to as an amygdala hijack. We go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Some people lash out. Some people run away. Some people freeze like a deer in the headlights. And when that happens in conflict situations, people die. And when it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. We burn trust. So as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that change and innovation creates in us and move through it towards the vision of our desired results as opposed to allowing that anxiety to control us. So that's one of the... Uh, built-in sources of resistance to change uh, that we have.
0: And how does one train that big brother?
1: Um, by learning to stop giving away our energy, by learning to lower our walls, by learning to become less resistive, less judgmental, less attached outcome. What I've been The central thesis of my work in coaching uh, and the, the Master of Business Leadership program is that there's an underlying energy physics to all of this that makes the results as predictable and quantifiable as any physical science. What that means is that we have a set of habits that cause us to give away our energy. We're only conscious about three to 5% of the time. The rest of the time we're relying on our, our, on our habits to determine our behavior and our results. So if we want better results than we're currently getting, we have to, we have to develop better habits, um, which means we have to do the emotional labor of leaving our comfort zone.
0: Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com created by Pen for Hire. Thanks to technology Authors are now able to reach their readers in new ways. Letting readers know who you really are, why you wrote the book, and that you welcome their questions and comments goes a long way to building a fan base. Outside of social media, podcasts, radio, television, newspaper, and magazine interviews reach millions of people every day. How can you get featured in more of these media channels? Working with a public relations specialist will open more doors than you ever thought possible. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation today. Now back to the interview. So you've been doing this for, for quite some time. The six or six to eight books that you've written, are they all on the leadership and emotional intelligence topic or is, are they varied?
1: They're all on aspects of the lack of leadership and emotional intelligence and what gets in the way. See, leadership's not a, it's not a position, it's a choice. If your actions don't inspire people to follow you, you're not a leader, Um, doesn't matter what your title is. And quite frankly, most so-called leaders aren't leaders. Um, they are good at using their position-based power to try and control and manipulate others. And that creates toxic environments uh, and increases the level of drama, chaos, and conflict in those environments. That's why the, uh, you know, according to Gallup, the current level of employee engagement globally is around 13%. So. People don't feel safe in their environments, and that causes them to be reluctant to take risk. And it causes uh, it's it's costing the U.S. economy alone over uh, over a trillion dollars a year. Um, and if your employees don't feel safe, neither do your, neither do your customers. There's almost a one-to-one correlation between the level of employee engagement and the level of customer engagement. So. We tend to be driven by our ego-based fear and that causes us to st- be trapped in our comfort zones. So if we're unwilling to change, if we're unwilling to leave our comfort zone, then the only alternative we have is to try and get everybody else to change. If we're unwilling to change ourself, uh we typically try and use some type of position-based power to control and manipulate others, to get them to change. Um, And we've been doing that. We've been operating that way for a very, very long time. And that's creating the environment we live in today. And that's not sustainable because um, we're going to see increasing levels of drama, chaos, and conflict um, as the rate of change globally continues to accelerate and without the development of emotional intelligence, we're not going to be able to change our trajectory and it's really gonna put us at risk.
0: So with that almost one-to-one correlation you spoke about, I mean, that's enlightening in the fact of 13% of consumers globally are engaged.
1: Every everybody employees uh, look at look at the organizations. I mean, look at look at the world. Um, it's driven. We're driven primarily based on fear.
0: Why I find that so interesting is because many companies, at least from my experience, even from the very top, <laughs> overlook the employee component and are always focused on more customers, more customers, higher profits, when really, if there's a direct correlation, you could probably spend a lot less money and a lot less effort and just focus on making your employees happier and achieve the same result, if not better.
1: Let me give you an example of what you just said. I'll give you an example of a company that's currently doing over a trillion dollars a year in revenue and their primary focus is on the development, hiring, and promotion of emotional intelligence. That company is Apple. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to understand your pain. And if possible, offer a solution. Uh, whether you buy anything or not is secondary. They want you to have a great experience, and maybe you 'll go tell your friends and maybe they'll they 'll tell their friends so that 's an example of the future of organizational development. More and more companies apple Google, Southwest Airlines, JetBlue, Infosys, Whole Foods, FedEx, Costco, and others are focusing more on unleashing the human potential within their organizations by developing their emotional intelligence, reducing the toxicity, the drama, chaos, and conflict by developing their emotional intelligence.
0: That's such a great example because Apple, I think, is one of the only companies on earth that has ever told me not to buy something, that what I had was worth keeping and there was no real need unless I wanted to spend more money. And yeah, that's unusual I, in this in this day and age of capitalism and consumerism.
1: Exactly right. Literally by developing here's here's a here's a quote for you uh, that I coined years ago. By developing your emotional intelligence, you're literally able to outcare your competition. And all purchasing decisions are emotional decisions. We make purchasing decisions emotionally. And then we look for features and benefits to justify the decision intellectually we've already made emotionally.
0: That's such a great point. And I think people skew the difference between a need and a want, right? Because you may need a new computer, yeah. but you don't necessarily need the top of the line MacBook Pro. Yeah. That's, the, that's where the want is.
1: Yeah, we don't do what we need to do. We do what we want to do.
0: That's, wow. Um, So you've mentioned a few times drama, chaos, and conflict. Mm -hmm. How How many times have you stepped into an environment and just seen that off the charts? And how do you get them to recognize it? Or do they already recognize it?
1: I see it all the time. I see it every day, um, and no, they don't recognize it. Um, because when we raise our walls, it blinds us to reality. It, We tell ourselves, we rationalize our actions and results. We tell ourselves rational lies to justify staying in our comfort zone. We're like we're like we're like slowly boiling frogs um, and the temperature is getting cranked up at an increasing level. We're not nearly as evolved and sophisticated as we think we are. We are still very... We're we're much closer to Neanderthals bumping into each other um, with the ability to destroy the planet than we we think we are. We're dealing with things like CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology and climate change and AI and other pandemics. And we really need to be developing our emotional intelligence so that we can make better choices without putting our hand on the stove. See, we typically tend to... Mark Twain once said, if the only way mankind... Here's an author. If the only way mankind can learn is through experience, I see no hope for mankind. If the only way we can learn is by putting our hand on the stove, that assumes that we're going to be around to learn from that activity. And increasingly, we're dealing with challenges that you don't get a do-over. You you need to develop the the intuition, the emotional intelligence, the the wisdom to know not to put your hand on the stove before putting your hand on the stove.
0: And I would imagine there's a component of that where (laughs) learning from experience is good, but learning from the experience of others who've already made the mistake so that you don't have to run the risk of making a mistake you can't recover from.
1: Well, here's the thing. And this gets into, uh, uh in a sense, being an author, <clears throat> um, when we learn to stop giving our energy and we do it in a myriad of ways, how we, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways we're doing it unconsciously and we've been doing it since birth. Um, but when we learn to stop giving away our energy, it enables us to, it, it helps us to become, lower our walls. We become less resistive, less judgmental, less attached to outcome. And that actually enables us to see ourselves and to see others more clearly for who they truly are. And it actually allows our genius, our creativity to come to the surface. So learning to lower our walls is really how great authors get their inspiration, how masters of anything become inspired. It it moves them out of their fear-based consciousness so that they become more connected with themselves and everybody else. So the whole process of creativity is really about learning to lower our walls and stop giving away our energy
0: if you'd be so kind can you go a little deeper on what giving away our energy really means
1: sure <laughs> now this is really gonna weird out your audience so but i um, i want to preface this by saying that i've been proving it all over the world for the last 21 years um, in my coaching practice. When we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. Our conscious mind doesn't kick in until we're about a year or so old, but we are born with an unconscious mind and we immediately start wiring up our brain, creating the neural network pathways that become our habits. And we're doing that in order to survive, fit in, get food, That kind of stuff. And a lot of those habits are what I call victim habits. They're habits that cause us to unconsciously give away our energy. And when we're giving away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. And at the same time we're giving away our energy over here, we have to be replacing that energy by trying to steal the energy of other people over here. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody everywhere in the world, all the time, unconsciously. And that is the root cause of all drama, chaos, and war everywhere in the world. It always has been. So what I do in the NBL program is I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy and how they communicate, listen, take responsibility, all sorts of ways. And I give them better habits to stop doing that. And when they stop giving away their energy... Their need to steal the energy of other people goes away. And it's in that process that they develop their emotional intelligence. They become, they increase their consciousness, and they become more inspirational leaders. Those are the those are the three outcomes of doing this work.
0: Love it. Thank you for listening to the Penn Podcast, produced by Pen for Hire. Have you ever wished the people in your life would give you honest, useful criticism on your work? Advice and insight to help improve the narrative instead of just saying it's good? Well, our team at Pen for Hire specializes in developmental editing. So no matter where you are in the writing process, we can help you take it to the next level. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation today. And now back to the interview. I had a feeling that's where you were going with it. Just didn't want to assume since you are the expert. Um, I want to go back quickly to the, to the books that you wrote. What was the, because clearly you're doing what you're doing. You're working with companies, you're working with leaders um, and, and you're educating, you're getting your message across. What made you decide or feel the need to write these books?
1: Would. Which- uh, so I've been working on my journey, you might call it a hero's journey, <clears throat> for the last 35 years, and I've distilled it down into about three pages. Would you like me to share that with you? Please. Okay, let me just pull it up, and it'll, I think it'll explain a lot. Um, bear with me just for a second. You may have to, I, I guess we're live, so you can't really put a break in here. Here, I've got it. Um, I entitled this Why I Created the Master of Business Leadership Program. I was born in Brantford, Ontario, Canada on December 1st, 1953. Our family lived in a small two-bedroom post-World War II bungalow where my mom and dad raised three boys. I was the youngest and quite a surprise as my mother was in her early 40s when I was born. Three boys in one small bedroom with a coal-burning furnace and no air conditioning. My parents were born in 1909 and 1910 and went as far as grade eight in school. My dad was a factory worker who never made more than $5 per hour. During World War II, he served as a sergeant in a mortar artillery platoon in North Africa. His men used to call him the old man because he was 29 years old when he enlisted. As a younger man, he had boxed and played semi-pro baseball. My dad made his own beer and I helped by putting the caps on the bottles. My mother was a factory seamstress who left her job to take care of our family. I was born six weeks prematurely and weighed approximately four pounds. My first six months were spent in an incubator at the local Bradford General Hospital. My dad brought milk to me my dad brought milk to me each day on his bicycle because he didn't own a car. I have dyslexia. It's a neurological disorder that I was born with. I notice it most when I am trying to spell, read, and occasionally hear. It can cause me to rearrange words and numbers in my mind. I didn't realize I had the condition until about 35 years ago. Back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia, ADD, or ADHD. I failed grade three and I failed grade five and was labeled a slow learner. And I used to pray that the teacher would never ask me a question, and I rarely made eye contact. Many times the back of my shirt would be soaked with sweat by the time class was over. Getting a C was a great mark for me. A's and B's were out of the question. Some of my earliest childhood memories were that our neighborhood had dirt roads, asphalt roads, TVs and private phone lines came several years later. We also had a milkman, breadman, eggman, and potato man that made their deliveries in horse drawn trucks. I started working when I was nine years old, pulling copper wire out of the back of factory dumpsters and selling it for five cents a pound. That was my allowance. By the time I was 12, I had a part time job working in a produce factory loading boxcars. I also worked as a caddy at a local golf course. I had money and life was good. A few years later my mother developed breast cancer. She had to went radiation and chemotherapy which led to a radical mastectomy. And on December 3rd, 1967 she died. It was 2 days after my 14th birthday. I was in grade 7 at the time. 1 month later I made a decision that was to change the trajectory of my life. It was a snowy January night around midnight and I was taking my dog Duke for a walk. He was a blue tick cow my parents had given me as a puppy when I was five years old. Standing behind a local factory, I decided to go for it. I was going to see what was on the other side of the hill and come back and help my friends that had already given up on life. That decision began a 54 year journey that continues today. I became an A student throughout the rest of grade school and high school. My dad died in May of 1974 as I was completing grade 13. Four years later, I graduated in the top of my class from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I also played football and basketball. Later, I spent five years studying electrical engineering while beginning what turned out to be a 20-year career in the semiconductor industry. By the time my career in that industry had ended, I had become a corporate executive. I was traveling over 60,000 miles per year throughout North America and the Pacific Rim. In 1990, I remember talking with one of my older brothers and commenting, is this all there is? I had accomplished more than I, or for that matter, anyone else ever thought I would. And in the process, I had become mindlessly focused on the drive to acquire and achieve conventional wealth and success. But obtaining the brass ring wasn't as fulfilling as I had dreamt it would be. Along the way, I had forgotten the promise I'd made to myself on that snowy January night in 1968. I eventually decided to leave corporate America, breaking away from the herd in order to lead it in a better direction. A short time later, I turned down two vice presidential roles so that I could begin the creation of what has become the Master of Business Leadership Program. So there you go. There's a... More information than you you wanted to know, probably.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you just, I don't even know what to ask anymore. You just answered everything I possibly could have thought of. Well, thank you. So I guess let me let me try to ask one more question. Who are your <clears throat> favorite clients to work with?
1: People in pain that have an urgent desire for getting better results than they're currently getting and have already been doing a lot of emotional labor in their life that's given them insights into themselves and other people that they want to continue to build on.
0: So someone, as we said earlier, a lot of people don't see the drama, chaos and conflict. So there's a lot of people who don't even realize they're in pain. So your ideal client, someone is at least woken up to the fact of, hey, I'm hurting, I need help.
1: I search all over the world Every day for people like that that are sick and tired of being sick and tired and have the courage to take the leap of faith that the development of their their emotional intelligence and their inspirational leadership require. And I can tell you they're few and far between.
0: Wow. Um, and I believe it, having worked many years in, in different corporate environments, uh, there's a, a big, I don't want to say belief, but I guess the habit of just doing what you've always done, because that's the way you've always done it.
1: Let me, um, let me leave you by putting a bit of a chill down your back. I think we're at a tipping point as a species on the planet. If we don't change our trajectory dramatically in these next few few decades, I don't think we will survive this century as a species. There isn't a single species on the planet that wouldn't be better off if we didn't exist. We're the virus on the planet and that needs to change. And that will only change with the development of our emotional intelligence. So the development of our emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we face. It is the only solution to the challenges we face.
0: Well said, that is definitely a thought provoking slash chilling point to end on. I can't say that I disagree with you. I, I've been along that line of thought for a while now. Um, so hopefully more people start to wake up and realize that only we can change it. There, There is no other species that's capable of changing it. Um, and this has been enlightening, Phil, thank you so much for being here today. If people want to find out more about you, your coaching, your books, where can they do that?
1: Best, best way to reach me is through my, through my LinkedIn profile. And, uh, there's a, um, there's a link to my calendar in the profile. So if anybody wants to have a, have a chat, I'd, uh, I'd be happy to
0: incredible uh we'll make sure we drop that in the show notes so everyone has that available as well um everyone tuning in definitely if you're interested in learning more about emotional intelligence set up an appointment with phil um it cannot hurt in fact i'm sure it can only help we thank you all for tuning in you just spent this time with matt harms and phil johnson and we will catch you all on the next episode have a great day